0: Episode 13 of the Small Biz Startup Essentials Podcast, an interview with Justin Batt, serial entrepreneur and creator of Daddy Saturday. Well, hello there and welcome to the Small Biz Startup Essentials Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Claremont and my goal is to help equip you through the personal brand small business startup process by providing you with enough tips and tools in these episodes so that your pivot through the small business startup process goes a lot smoother and you're more profitable quicker. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a like on the platform you're using. You can go to TomClaremont.com for more information on how I can help you with your new startup. Well, hello again, everyone. Thanks for being with us today on another episode of the Small Biz Startup Essentials podcast. Very pleased to have with us today, Justin Batt. Justin is one of the fortunate people who found the collision of their calling and passion in life. Justin is a healthcare innovator and works with the B2B sector, with the largest biopharmaceutical and life science companies in the world. Justin Batt aims to disrupt fatherhood with intentionality by creating intentional fathers who raise good kids who become great adults. He founded Daddy Saturday in his own backyard with his four children, and it's grown into a national movement, engaging fathers across multiple channels, including YouTube, social media, the Daddy Saturday book, a podcast, merchandise, live events. And a 501c3 foundation through which Justin plans to impact 10 million fathers in the next 10 years. In addition, Justin is a highly sought after healthcare consultant and a successful serial entrepreneur, as well as a TEDx and international public speaker, a multi published author, a regular guest on multiple podcasts. (laughs) I'm the fourth one today for him. When not at work, Justin can be found helping his wife, Heather, run her bridal enterprise and spending time with his four children. Justin, welcome.
1: Thanks for being with us today. Tom, such a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be on your podcast. So you're involved with so much.
0: Um, I uh, I could never pack it all into one episode What I'd like to uh, talk about today is uh, your serial entrepreneurship. Can you tell us how that sort of started with you?
1: Yeah, so I think I've always been an entrepreneur. I've always had that bugger, that gene. I just um, was very intentional about the process and how I chose to become an entrepreneur. And I started that journey vicariously through my wife, believe it or not. Um, When we came out of school, she was a teacher and I was in the corporate pharma world. And it was great because I had that stability, that background, the basis of benefits and healthcare and a company car and all the things that are great for a young family who's newly married and starting to have kids. And my wife quickly realized that she didn't want to do teaching anymore and decided to pursue an entrepreneur journey of opening her own Couture Bridal Boutique. So she's had that for 13 years now and I've served alongside her and supported that dream and that vision. And In fact, that's what started Daddy Saturday. And along my time, of my corporate trend uh, through pharma and in publishing and through the other routes that I've taken in my career, um, there were many points of intersection where I would do a side hustle or break off and try and do something of my own, whether it was app development or um, building technology or starting out uh, the platform for my own personal brand and building myself to a space where I could become a consultant one day and work for myself or building the brand of Daddy Saturday Right. That's a small business in and of itself and the foundation that we also have. So I've always had the bug in the gene. It started with my wife. And over time, um, it afforded me the opportunity to leave corporate America and now be a full-time entrepreneur doing my own thing as a, a full-time consultant across healthcare, publishing, and the fatherhood space.
0: Good. So how did you come to, how did she, your wife come to the conclusion that she wanted to do a bridal shop? What made her
1: pick that specific, you know, market? I'm so glad you asked that question because when she came to me and said she wanted to leave teaching, I said, what do you want to do? And she said, I really don't know. And I said, well, listen, you're, you're so talented. Um, you've got a business mind yourself. I'll support you whenever you choose to do. I'm, I was leaving on a trip and I said, when I come back, why don't you have a business plan for me and we can look at whatever you have laid out and we'll go with it. So I came back and she said, well, it's either babies or bridal. And I said, well, great. You have birth, you have death and you get married in between. So I love the market. <laughs> uh, we felt like babies were a bit saturated. And so we landed on bridal. And I'll tell you why I was really intrigued by the model. And I, I know way more about fabric and dresses and weddings than I ever thought I would. But uh, bridal is unique in retail because um, it's in the couture sector, meaning the dresses are samples. And so you don't have a large inventory model and you're able to, you know, have exclusivity with certain designers in your market. So you have some, some brand protection. And then, you know, the, the brides come in, they try on that specific dress and then they order a custom dress and their size, fabric, style, et cetera. And that comes in six to eight months down the road. And that allows um, to have a minimal inventory model. So it, it helps your startup costs and, you know, the management of inventory long-term. And I really liked that model. I also love the fact that, again, it it wasn't fully recession-proof or COVID-proof or any of those other factors, but um, people are still getting married, brides still want their dresses, and dads still have routinely um, large budgets for most of those weddings. So all those factors went into us choosing the wedding industry.
0: Oh, so based on the research that was done with with the level of inventory you need, the profitability of that particular market you know, the need is always going to be there. Uh, was there much competition that you had to deal with?
1: There was actually a lot of competition. However, when we did the research, that exclusivity piece was unique in that there were still several openings for some very popular designer labels that were available in that market. in Charlotte, North Carolina is where we opened the store and still is today. And so the market was a great market to go into because we had enough of a a window to get enough designers that still made sense to approach that market. And the demographics also were a fit, right? Charlotte was 13 years ago, a growing city. You had uh, major banking and, and lots of other industries moving into Charlotte. And so just the growth in and of itself was a great place to open a retail business where you had lots of young people moving in, starting families, getting married. Um, great market to, to make our pick.
0: Good. And what made your shop unique uh, against your competition?
1: Well, I think we we looked at it from day one and said, look, we all sell wedding dresses, right? And there's certain labels that have some, some more weight than others, right? There's some really popular labels that may bring people in the door, um, things like that. So we were very specific in who we chose and what their corporate marketing budgets were. So creating that brand awareness at a larger scale to drive people into our business. The thing that's unique about Bridal though, is that In most circumstances, the brides will shop the stores that are the same caliber in the same market. They're going to go to all the stores and try on all the different types of dresses they want to try on before they make their decision. And so it's unique in that you still have to advertise, but it's different because once they know you're there, they're going to come to your store. And so really, then it became all about the in-store experience. It became about that experiential model and providing an experience that no one else could match. So everything from the moment they walk over a second floor, it's an open air space. Um, high ceilings, exposed ceilings, wooden floors, chandeliers, exposed brick walls, massive 15 by 15 dressing rooms with you know drapes to the ceiling, 20 foot high ceilings. And the moment they walk off the door, right, they, they're hit with that immediate experience. Like, wow, I feel like I'm in in Soho in New York City or somewhere. Uh, the way they're greeted from the, the speech that 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 we say when they walk off the elevator, they're, they're greeted immediately by a staff member. They're taken over and there's a process that they go through that makes, gets them comfortable at the store and shows them their dressing room and takes care of their family. We've done a needs assessment before they even walk in. So we already have some styles picked out. Their dressing room is, is ready to go. Um, We have any specific needs or requests. And then of course there's the complimentary champagne and some of those other factors that you give Mm -hmm. as a part of the process in the, in the bridal industry that are a lot of fun for that magic moment to make it super special and then you know everything from what they leave with to the the swag bag as we call it with the little goodies and accessories that are part of that to um, you know the follow up and the follow through and the communication like all of those things we just really spent a lot of time on making them extremely specific and trying to provide you know a Ritz Carlton Walt Disney World esque level experience at our little bridal store as a little tiny entrepreneur. And we were able to pull that off and it's only expanded over 13 years.
0: Right. That's excellent, Justin. And, you know, having gone through that experience uh, personally, because, you know, I have a daughter that got married. um, We've experienced, you know, many different kinds of bridal shops uh, back where we're from uh, back in upstate New York. And, um, to be honest, it was it was you know, a lot of little bridal shops that uh, didn't really provide much of an experience. But it sounds like you tackled this from you know from the, the very outset to make sure that somebody walking into the door uh, and walking out of the door has um, a, just a mind blowing positive experience, so that they will return. With all things, with everything else being equal, right? The dresses, the price, the experience is going to win them over, right?
1: It is. And at the end of the day, I mean, a wedding dress, there are some some certain factors, right? It may be the fabric, it may be the cut, it may be the style, it could be the price, Mm -hmm. that all come into play, like any other product or service that you're offering. But at the end of the day, it was the experience for us that really put us over the top and we've held true to that experience. I mean, I can count on one hand, maybe two hands in 13 years, the number of, of real issues we've had. And every single one of those issues has always been rectified. And we've gone through you know, a very in-depth process, again, to make sure that the customer gets what they want, which is an amazing experience so that they look amazing on their wedding day walking down the aisle. Mm-hmm. And I, the other big thing I'd mention, Tom, is that when you think about an experience, um, we looked at it and said, okay, what could we do to make this, a, a, what would a three-star experience look like? And a three-star experience is what we, what we had experienced, what my, my wife had experienced when she bought her wedding dress. And frankly, what most of the other competitors were offering in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. And we said, what would make a four-star experience? And then ultimately, what's a five-star experience, right? What would, what would just like literally blow their mind when they walked in? And then we didn't stop there. This is the Airbnb principle, and we said, what would a six-star experience, seven-star experience, right? Eight, nine, we got up to about a nine-star experience. And nine-star experience was like, you know, it was, it was amazing. They were in New York on a runway and they were on a billboard and like a helicopter flew in and picked them up and the whole nine yards. And so what we did is we said, okay, how do we land somewhere between a five and a nine and make that the level of our customer experience, right? How do we average a seven out of a scale of one to five for our customer experience? How can we challenge the paradigms of how things have always been done in this industry, bring my ingenuity of someone on the outside coming into this and say, how do we blow the the old paradigms off of the experience and the model of bridal? Because it is an old and antiquated model, frankly, and, and make that new. And so for a lot of your listeners, you know, I would challenge them to think the same things, right? What are the old paradigms? What is the box that you may be put into based on your product, your service, your industry that you're in? And how do you blow the doors off of that? and provide a level seven experience or product or service or whatever it is that you do so that your customers have no reasons. And I'll tell you what, Tom, it's, this is really, really raw right now because, you know, I'll I'll give you full transparency here. So COVID happened, right? Mm -hmm. And we're in a retail business in North Carolina. We shut our doors for two and a half months. Mm -hmm. We had to, it was mandated, right? We could not see brides. So our business closed down for the first time in 13 years Mm -hmm. for two and a half months, we reopened. And then Black Lives Matter paints a mural right in front of our store on the city street on South Tryon in the middle of Charlotte. And they shut the entire street down and make it an art district. And we have all sorts of people that you really wouldn't want the kind of people that are there in front of our place of business. And customers were sometimes deterred from coming to see us. So I say all that and, and be vulnerable for a minute to, to tell you all that, to say that if our customer experience, if our reputation if what we have done over the last 13 years hadn't been in place, we would have gone out of business. But because of what we've done and that experience and all those things we put in place, we've been able to move through this time. It's hurt, of course, like any other business in, in the U.S. right now who's dealing with these challenges, but we've gotten through it because of that foundation we've put in place.
0: Well, I was just about to ask you know, what other kind of obstacles you
1: had uh, to face. Um, and I'll give you an obstacle that may not be something that comes out on the surface, but it's really important for your listeners to hear and understand. One of the obstacles that we didn't anticipate was being new entrepreneurs, how much of that took over our lives and how much the business started to permeate every ounce of, of who we were and what we did. And we found ourselves talking about the business all the time. And you know what our our date nights as a couple turned into business meetings and dinner time turned into you know profit and loss conversations and things like that so one of the obstacles that we didn't anticipate was you know how all-consuming being an entrepreneur can be and especially a husband and wife even though i wasn't full-time in the business right i was still very involved how much of that your time and attention that can take so a solution to that obstacle and something for your audience would be we created business date nights and and date night date nights so on our business date nights we discuss business it's like a board meeting we come there, we bring anything that's not urgent or important, and we have those conversations. If it's urgent or important, we solve it when we need to. And it gives us a chance to get that on the table and get it off the table when we then have our personal date night. We talk about our dreams, hopes, goals, kids as a family, right? And it allows us to separate the church and the state between the business and our family life or our personal life. And that has been one way we've overcome that obstacle. Excellent.
0: It sounds like you know having a plan like that where you can schedule... You know, your, your downtime is a way to sort of, you know, uh, lessen the stress
1: of being business owners as well, correct? That's exactly right. And, you know, in the business, my wife being the, the entrepreneur, the breadwinner in terms of her, her own company, having to wear all the hats. Um, I found myself at corporate dad at home with our kids all day on Saturday because that's the biggest day in retail. And that's how Daddy Saturday started, because I was supporting my wife and being a dad to my four kids, our four kids, while she was working. And you know, again, what I found was that by being intentional and by having a plan, we were able to effectively operate as a family. And not perfect, right? There's been a lot of struggles over the last 13 years, but we, we never achieved balance. What we've done is been able to manage the tension between work and home. And I think we've done that in an effective way. And part of that is by having a plan, putting things on paper, on purpose and listing things out like those business date nights or date nights, listing out kids, ball games or a one-on-one, you know, daddy daughter date with, with my daughter. And we put those things on paper, been intentional and plan them out. And what that's done is it's allowed us to hold them as if we were holding a business meeting, right? Same level of importance. Mm -hmm. And now you're able to really blend business, blend family and never eliminate the tension, but manage the tension between work and home
0: good Uh, let's go back a little bit before you even opened the shop uh, initially the first time you opened the doors um, what kind of process would you know explain that process uh that you went through um how did you sort of ramp up
1: for your you know grand opening so a couple of factors really we did um you know, we did develop a very thorough business plan. I think that can be a lost art today where I don't know how much people really sit down and do a formal business plan again, but we did. And it was very in-depth. And so I think that the best part of having a plan is it gives you, um, as Andy Stanley says, direction, not intention, determines destination. So we were pointing ourselves in the right direction of where we wanted to go to become a successful business. And we had the plan to get us there. And then it just became executing the plan and operationalizing those pieces. So we looked down at our our you know, financial strategy and said, okay, it's 2008. It's the beginning of the recession. Here's how much money we have. Here's how many dresses we need to sell to stay open, right? What's the marketing plan to go out and be able to go and, and generate that many customers? What does our close rate need to be, right? How do we, what do we do in terms of staffing, right? Not, right now, it's only you. You're going to need some help quickly as we ramp this up because you can't facilitate all the brides all at one time. So what does our staffing plan look like? Right. And we just went through each of those, Tom, and really started mm-hmm. to lay out the, the mechanics and the, the operational components of how we bring that plan to life. And it really made things quite simple. It wasn't easy, but it was simple mm-hmm. in the sense mm-hmm. that it just became putting the plan in place. And so I think that's the first thing I would say. Um, and then I let, we also delegated and deferred. So there were things that, that only my wife could do. Right. Like she was the one that picked out the designer. She picked out the specific dresses in those collections. That was something only she could do. I have the marketing brain, right? That's my background. That's my expertise. So I went into the marketing component. And then the other thing we did is we put some initial metrics in place early on. And those metrics were very powerful in allowing us to make some quick pivots based on what we were seeing in terms of customer response, customer reaction, right? In terms of either pricing or um, the the marketing plan and how we were driving people into the business. And then we were very strategic in terms of how we then um, laid out the the long-term strategy. So once those initial points are in place, we started to then measure against what's that long tail look like. And in the next 10 years, here's where we wanna be. Well, how do we get there? And are we tracking along that goal? And what do we need to make in terms of changes to get us there? So plan, put the plan in place, optimize the components, and then, you know, measure, 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 inspect what you expect along the way. Good, good advice one last question,
0: uh, if I could, is there anything you would have done differently about
1: uh, that startup process for o- opening the shop? Hmm. You know, there's always things you do differently. Um, one of the things that was a challenge for us was it was 2008 and we, we basically self-funded the business. It wasn't easy to get uh, capital at that time. Literally everything had gotten cut off. It was right at the beginning of the, the major recession. And so we were extremely undercapitalized. And, you know, that caused some challenges in the model in terms of how we would, and we had to use a lot of our um, initial sales just for working capital, where the, the way the model works, it's 50% down 50% upon when the bride comes to pick up the dress. And so technically you'd like to pay off the designer first and pay for the dress and then, you know, save the balance for the revenue. But because you're starting up and you have, we were undercapitalized, we had to use a lot of that for working capital. And so I think that, you know, being able to have, a better funding mechanism early on would have eased some of the burden. I, I don't know that we would have traded the hard knocks and the, the many nights of just working through it and having to be gritty to get through those early times, but that would have made things a little bit easier from a strategic standpoint. And so not to say that you don't ever um, just go for it, but, but you know, there are points where you need to look at your capitalization early on, because I think the two things that kill most businesses are either success or lack of cash flow. And, you know, we were very fortunate to get through both and be successful and not get too big for our britches early on. And we were also able to manage cash flow well enough that we've been around 13 years and have a profitable business as a result. So that'd be one thing. I think the other thing I would look at potentially changing would be um, the way in which we we, um, probably over invested in some things that we thought mattered more then then they really mattered and underinvested in some things that didn't matter as much. And the way that we could have figured that out is by seeking wise counsel and talking to others that were non-competitive marketplaces in the same industry who may have, who maybe have given us insight into their startup story, right. And who had been where we were and could have provided some of that knowledge. And we did find some mentors quickly in the process, but probably not early enough to prevent some of those early mistakes. And some of them had some zeros behind them. And so I wish we would have gone back and had more wise counsel and some more guides in the process to help prevent some of those mistakes that, frankly, didn't need to be made.
0: Good. Excellent insight. Uh, Great advice. Justin Batt, uh, how can people find out more about you and what you do?
1: Well, I, th- I feel like after this interview, I've talked about my wife's store so much, I should connect them with Heather because uh, she's the real entrepreneur in the family. But no, you can find me at Justin Bat on LinkedIn, the best way to connect with me there. You can connect with Heather as well at Heather Bat and find out more about her and Hayden Olivia Bridal. And then um, Daddy Saturday is the website for all things fatherhood. And we're really ho- focused on helping fathers be more intentional, more engaged, be better parents, right? And manage the tension between work and home. There are a lot of resources there to help dads out, daddysaturday.com.
0: Thanks again, Justin, for your time today and your insight, your input. Uh, Just take a peek back at uh, how you went through the startup process for your business. Thanks again. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate you. That's our episode for today. Thanks for listening. Please let me know what you think of today's episode and your thoughts on the topic. Please give us a like in Apple iTunes or whichever app you're using. It helps us out a lot. Again, for more information about how I can help you through the small business startup process, please go to TomClaremont.com. There you'll find a free download called the 7 P's to Profitability that addresses the issues and the elements you'll need to have a profitable personal brand business.